0: Hello, I'm Dan Jurgen, Vice Chairman of IHS Markit, and welcome to Sierra Week Conversations presented by IHS Markit. I'm very pleased today to be talking with Bob Dudley, former CEO of BP, and the Chairman of the OGCI, the Oil Gas Climate Initiative. Uh, Bob, welcome to CIRA Week Conversations.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dan. It's great to see you. And Sarah Week has always been a real great week when we could get together. I'm glad to see you doing this virtually now.
0: Well, well, thank you. So, Bob, to begin with, OGCI, Oil and Gas Climate Initiative. For those who don't know, what is it?
1: Well, it was a group of 12 of the largest oil and gas producers in the world, roughly together, producing around 30% of the world's oil and gas operated production. Uh, It was formed prior to the Paris Accords, the big agreement, and has been working together uh, to work collectively on working to drive our our emissions down, investments in various uh, low carbon technologies. And it's, it's truly a collective effort led by the CEOs. The CEOs get together and meet and talk themselves and then set the agendas and drive it. It doesn't do everything, so it has focus around it: methane, CCUS, and a variety of other technologies.
0: Well, well, so what? What is the? I mean, so as you say, it's been it existed before the Paris meeting, which was twenty fifteen. What's its current focus?
1: Well, today the focus uh, it, it's been expanding somewhat, but it's I would say it's uh, one reducing collectively our own emissions, both methane and driving down the energy intensity of what we do. Uh, It is focused on technologies around measuring, detecting, and monitoring methane reductions through real investments. And then it's working on CCUS, carbon capture use and storage, Uh, not just desktop studies, but actually investing in projects, Kickstarter hubs around the world. Uh, So it's a combination of working together on concepts, but also real action.
0: So one thing that you've all done together is to create a billion-dollar fund to invest in technologies. And I guess so much of it is really focused on that question, as you put it over the years about focusing on reducing emissions. Can you give us some of the examples of what you all are investing in?
1: Well, it's a great question. So it focuses on various things like methane reduction. So monitoring, detecting, measuring. Uh, We've invested in uh, Companies with satellites uh, that can measure emissions now—they're not just a concept; they're up in the air now. There's three of those satellites around that can measure methane and, and, and detecting them, and then notifying not just the OGCi companies, but in some cases countries. Uh, we use drone technology. Uh, so one of them is uh, flies around and measures uh, quarterly for one of the companies, measuring emissions offshore, which are hard to detect. You, know, you can't see. You can't. You can't see methane. You can't measure it. Um, you know, by by just looking. Uh, so these infrared technologies are, are terrific. We've invested in a company called Solidia, it's something I'm really excited about. And so, Dan, I was surprised through the OGCi work that it's doing on screening investments to learn in that process that about eight percent of the world's greenhouse gas emissions actually comes from cement when it's cured, which is a that's a huge number. So we've invested in a company that actually cures the cement with CO2 and it brings the CO2 into the cement and then sequesters it. And I think technologies like that are the kind that are going to make a huge difference and they need to spread with scale. That's another example.
0: So I remember a couple of years ago being at an OGCI meeting and being very impressed by the discussion about nature-based solutions. Uh, Is that one of the things that's still on the agenda for OGCI?
1: We study uh, nature-based solutions, a variety of them, reforestation, uh, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, there's other ways to protect forests. And what I'm surprised about is a lot of people outside the industry say, well, that shouldn't count. But actually it's one of the big important ways to get to the aims of Paris. So we're studying, we haven't taken on big projects, but a a number of the OGCI companies themselves are doing that
0: forestry. Bob. Want to talk a little more about what you're doing uh, in terms of CCUS and this uh, phrase that you all are using, a Kickstarter hubs. What are Kickstarter mm-hmm. hubs, and what does that have to do with CCUS?
1: Well, it's a, it's a it's a great point. So we're, we we uh, if you look at one of the things we started with the Climate Investment Fund is we actually enabled. Uh, a large project in the northeast of England, it's called Net Zero Teesside, and we took it to a point and then handed it off to five of the OGCI companies to actually finalize the engineering and then doing it. Uh, and we've located about eight other places around the world that we call Kickstarter hubs. so there's another one in, in the UK, this one's in Norway, There's one that's really interesting, a ring around the Rotterdam Harbor, what they'll do is take the CO2 uh, emissions and then pipe it out and put it miles under the ground. Where it originally came from, and we've got uh, we're working on ones in the U.S. A couple of places in the U.S. There's one in China, that one of our member companies is leading as well. So we're trying to enable this. We call them Kickstarter hubs to create these projects that can be large-scale CO2 uh, abatement projects. And if you go on our website ogci.com, we just changed the website name to that. It's much simpler ogci.com. Uh, you can go on there and find a resource. Um, collection that we put together of about 50 places around the world that we think have CCUS uh, possibilities. Uh, oh. Maybe your team at a high-chance market would have a
0: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, we'll go to that. And uh, just to re- repeat, OGCI.com.com or dot .org? Dot .com. Okay, OGCI.com, so of global discussion. And I think a big focus of OGCI is methane. You mentioned that a, a minute ago. But maybe you could focus more in on that as a particular uh, focus for OGCI.
1: Well, it's a it's a very big focus of OGCI. Uh, you you almost can't get to the aims of the Paris Accords without the use of methane to displace coal out of the out of the power systems. And CCS is another big area as well. You can't get to those goals without both of those. So we're focusing on both of those heavily. Methane is important. It's a greenhouse gas, it's a potent greenhouse gas. It doesn't last in the atmosphere nearly as long as CO2. And the technologies haven't been there to be able to, to monitor it and mitigate it. And a lot some of this is actually done by calculation. So what OGCI is focused on a lot is measuring our own emissions as, as the 12 companies collectively. We set a baseline uh, in 2017 and we're targeting by uh, now down by 2024 to get down to one, one third less than we had admitted before, which is about the equivalent of 3.4 million passenger cars on the road. So we all the companies focus individually, and then we collectively have set our target to get down below 0.20 percent, uh, and we'd like that to be the benchmark for the industry. We know other people are using it. Even the UN is working with that number as well and then developing the technologies themselves through the climate investment fund to detect it, monitor, measure it, mitigate it, Uh, and through those technologies, unlike in the past, um, as I said before, you can't actually see methane, natural gas, but there's going to be nowhere to hide because the technologies are coming so fast that we'll be able to uh, spot them, mitigate any leaks, and hopefully spread that technology not only in the oil and gas industry, our own companies, but the rest of the industry and then other hard to sectors as well.
0: So OGCI is obviously tr- looking at specific ways to uh, address across a spectrum, the challenges of emissions, the challenges of climate. Maybe we could turn now to the sort of the world in which OGCI operates. And, uh, you know, where are we in terms of uh, uh, recovery, of the oil industry, we're coming out of COVID. Just you know, you've had you've gone through many cycles. Where do you see the uh, where do you see where we are in the cycle today in terms of demand recovery?
1: Well, it's certainly been a uh, strange year and a half. The pandemic, COVID nineteen, has affected, of course, all industries. There's a clue in how hard it is to reduce emissions because even with that great reduction in economic activity in 2020. The emissions maybe didn't fall as as far as some people were thinking, even without the transportation. So it shows you the size and the scale and the complexity of the challenge. Demand is coming back. Uh, In order to solve these problems, no one company, no one real industry, we've all got to work together. So collaboration is key. That was hard to do in 2020. OGCI kept together through the virtual world and kept spending and investing money. I was a little concerned the companies who had such a terrible financial year in 2020 would back off um the accelerator on what we're doing but they didn't all the ceos remain committed to it so emissions are coming back up demand uh, which is you can't just do it on supply we've got to reduce demand as well across all kinds of sectors to happen it just means to me dan now more than any time we've got to drive things collectively collaborate together and not just the ogci companies but with governments uh, non-government organization policymakers, stakeholders we got to work together and not just talk.
0: Yeah, you've emphasized a very important point. In our uh, own economists at IHS Market now pin economic recovery, uh, economic growth GDP for the world at 6% this year, 7.4% for the US. And of course, that's reflected in in oil demand, which says that uh, growing economies need energy.
1: Well, they do need it, and, and in fact, I think Dan, it's fair to say that the scars of the COVID years are going to be uh, even harder on developing countries. So uh, economies, developing economies, they've had a terrible time. Some of them are far from out of the COVID uh, fog that we've been in for a long time. And so what the world has to do is develop, you know, the energy, affordable energy that people will need. And we need to develop the technologies and then spread that technologies out, uh, lower carbon technology. So this is a large, big transition we're in and all transitions are difficult but this one is really uh, going, going to be difficult that's why we're going to all work together
0: right and i guess that's what as you say the collaboration with ogci is is to pool the not only the financial resources but the knowledge mm. of the different companies and their technological capabilities uh, to focus on these challenges
1: well, that's right. Inside the, uh, the OGCI companies and even the oil industry itself, I mean, there's great brains, there's great know-how, there's great experience on large-scale projects, cross-border projects around the world, and it brings with it financial uh, help as well. So there's no question to me that oil and gas companies and energy companies themselves uh, have to be part of this grand solution that we're going to work on over the coming decades.
0: Now, there's a lot going on as we head towards COP26, the next UN conference, the successor to Paris, which will be in Glasgow in November. Mm -hmm. And one of the surprising things was a report from the, not a report from the International Energy Agency, but a scenario uh, which called for uh, no more investment in exploration in oil and gas, which is very Mm -hmm. different from what the IEA was saying just a couple of months earlier when they were concerned there wasn't enough investment. Kind of with your experience of the industry and public policy over decades, what's your reaction? Well,
1: um, so the IEA, International Energy Agency, is a partner with OGCI on many things. So we have great respect and work with them. Uh, they've, they've developed this, this scenario that's come out and, and um, it, it's making everyone question and think and it's and, and created a great dialogue around it. As the IEA says itself, it is a scenario, it's not the scenario. Um, you think back, the IPCC group of scientists around the world is about 1,300 scenarios that I saw back in uh, early 2020 and 2019. Say that again,
0: 1,300 scenarios? That's yeah, a lot the IP,
1: That's a lot. That is a lot. So, um, so this scenario has got a lot of tension and a lot of debate, and that's a good thing because it focuses everyone. But again it's it's not the scenarios that matter it's not the words it's actually we need to get in action we need to do it now and i think it's yeah. spurred it in that direction some of the assumptions uh lots of people questioning some of the assumptions on the drop of demand by 30 percent uh 30 million barrels a day of oil by 2030 seems a, kind of aggressive uh, given you know how it's going today coming out of the COVID times but that's okay it'll get yeah. everyone thinking hard
0: Yeah, we've just come out uh, that the average car in the United States now stays on the road twelve point one years. So uh, that's not cars that are disappearing; those are cars that are going to be on the road uh, Mm. after twenty thirty. So it's uh, strike. You know, the 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 scale is sometimes not taken into account.
1: And you mentioned COP twenty six again coming out of that, I think everyone's looking to see if the, the, the commitments of the company, countries, the NDCs, will, will emerge from that. So I think this is a really important year, and that's going to be a, uh, quite an indicator of the direction of policymakers coming out of this well, last uh, November.
0: A lot is on a vector all pointing to that first week of November, COP26, and the preparations going on now. Uh, do, you have, do you have some expectations? What are you looking for?
1: Well, one of the things I'm encouraged about, Dan, is the fact that it's actually not going to be a virtual meeting. I mean, the fact that they're actually going to get together and talk, and then they can thrash out certain things and commitments. So I think that there was at one point there was concern it wouldn't come together physically. So I think that's a good thing. Um, I think uh, you look at some of the statements coming out of the United States and and Europe. Of course, they're big players in, in, in COP. Um, And and so how they deal with other blocks or groups of countries will be uh, very important. But I think particularly North America and Europe, I think we'll see some really interesting uh, commitments come out of that. meeting.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting because we've seen many of the developing countries, which have large populations, have somewhat different perspectives. And so bringing those all and different imperatives because they have large scale poverty to deal with. So bringing those perspectives together will be a challenge of... uh, I guess, climate diplomacy, we could call it.
1: a Good way to put it. That's right. And many of the countries uh, do have large scale uh, coal fired power plants. I think there's still one opening every three weeks now in just eight countries around the world. But you start to hear uh, those countries start talking about the importance of natural gas, which gives off half the CO2 of burning coal. Uh, And if you can abate um, the emissions with the natural gas and remove the coal, make a huge difference on the world. And you do start hearing countries saying we're not going to build anymore, for starters, and want to use natural gas. And of course, renewables. I mean, renewables are great. Um, and having lots of renewable development as well. And I like the sort of a sense, because it is intermittent, and I don't think battery technology is quite the same pace, but having natural gas as a backup in the pipelines uh, to fill in the, the gaps of power seems like a good combination. And then natural gas will be part of I think a hydrogen future as well.
0: Right, well, do you see, uh, you mentioned that uh, OGCI that uh, has worked with the IEA, uh, Mm -hmm. that raises a larger question in terms of uh, public private sector collaboration on climate issues, how how do you see that evolving and what would you be looking for?
1: Well, there's, I think that collaboration working together has got to happen uh, with governments, with policymakers. uh, NGOs, companies themselves, and other industries. So hard to abate sectors like steel and aluminum, uh, even the transport sector, the shipping sector. So OGCI companies are, are beginning to work and are working across some of those sectors together. Um, government has got to set the, the right policies in place. Good, healthy regulation is always a good thing. It's like the sports. You know, we need rules in sports. We need that through regulation, I think. And I think that's we'll see what happens coming out of COP, but I think that will be an accelerant to, to doing more of that. It would be in the areas of methane uh, regulation emissions. It would be in CCUS. Uh, there's a very good program in the US called uh, 45Q, which incentivizes the development of CCUS. There's some great programs in, uh, in the UK as well. Europe is coming along. Uh, CCUS, I would think, is going to have to be a big public-private partnership. Not, a, not every project, but some of them are so large and the cost is so high. I think we'll start to see joint investments in some places.
0: Yeah, I think that there's not yet a full understanding of how important CCUS will be to meeting the climate goals. And as you say, that's one area in which public policies can play a very important role, just as public policies played a very important role in the development of solar and wind and bringing down those costs are there other effective climate policies that you would look for that would be helpful for achieving the kind of objectives that OGCI has?
1: Well, in, in, in addition to uh, joint projects together, uh, there is one thing that, that has always troubled me a little bit, and, and you and I have talked about it before, you know, for 200 years um, of economic history, it's hard to change people's behavior without a cost or a price on it. So there's something about the value of carbon policies that set some sort of value on it, could be cost, could be tax, uh, it could be carbon markets that, are, that are, need to accelerate a little bit more. And, and the OGCI companies collectively believe that there needs to be a value on carbon going forward. Uh, but you probably know more about that than me. I'd be interested if you think it's going to happen.
0: Well, I think uh, obviously that's been a topic for a long time and you know, we, we see it, uh, this carbon pricing, and then there's the issue of whether the EU is going to put uh, carbon tariffs, uh, carbon border adjustment mechanisms in place. But, um, you know, putting a price on things does, I, I mean, a price is a piece of information. It tells you what to do, and it gives some greater predictability. But, uh, you know, there's always a choice when you look at between price using price mechanisms and using regulatory mechanisms. and what's gonna be more effective and lead to quicker changes. Well, that gets to uh, a larger question that we, I think we can uh, uh, come to our conclusion on, which is you know, the, the scale and complexity of the energy system and how it works. Do you find that there's enough understanding of just how big it is and how interdependent it is and, uh, you know and conveying that uh, in public discussions
1: well it's such a large complex system as you said uh, maybe one of the most complex systems we have out there uh, on on a large scale and it's virtually everywhere uh, so energy uh, so the scale and the scale and complexity is hard to understand so it's very tempting to simplify many things uh, in it and so what we do at OGCI, all the companies individually in OGCI, we try to engage both individually and collectively uh, talking to stakeholders, governments, policymakers, uh, dialogues, uh, even of course with our our shareholders are on it. Um, but these are very, very hard questions and uh, there is no silver bullet. There's no, going to be no easy solutions here. So the more that um, governments stakeholders, shareholders, companies, individual companies, the more they understand the enormity and the complexity of it, the smoother the transition will be, because we can all think in the same uh, you know, language around it, but right. it can't be overly simplified. And this is where, you know, I say IHS Market does a great job of uh, explaining this and actually bringing people together, uh, including OGCI companies. So thank you for that.
0: Right. Well, the OGCI has proven already to be a very important uh, innovation, creating a framework for collaboration. And as you say, it does have scale because it represents 30% of world oil production. And so its work is uh, very significant and its uh, agenda is very important. So Bob, I wanna thank you very much for uh, taking the time today to talk about OGCI, what it's doing, uh, what it's striving to accomplish, and how it fits into the larger and changing energy picture. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much, Dan, and everybody out there. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you. We've been talking with Bob Dudley, who's the chairman of the OGCI, the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative. Thank you for joining us at this uh, Sierra Week conversation.